Okay, so thank you for having me at Warwick, at the Critical Finance Group. Um, as Ruben said, it's nice to come along and do something a bit different um, in the different departments and um, come out of my sociology home and see how everything goes down in, in pace, really. And it's uh, good to meet other finance scholars as well, because I recognise that was, it was quite an important part of the proposal and therefore it's got to continue to be quite an important part of my thesis. So it's good to talk to some of you and get reminded about what that means, I think, as well. So, um, as you can probably see, and you remember, my name's Heather Griffiths, and I'm a final PhD in sociology. Um, my thesis is looking at flexible working policy and the practice thereof um, in the finance sector, and I'm going to try and uncover some of the less obvious explanations about why work-life balance and flexible work continues to be gendered. Um, my interest in the finance sector particularly came from having worked there for almost a decade before coming back into even doing my undergrad, let alone PhD. The asset finance company I worked for was, spookily or, or not, it may or may not be a coincidence, very much like the one I'm about to talk, to, uh, talk about in the case study here. Um, so just briefly contents. I'm going to have a look at some of the theories that are influencing me, which may be quite unfamiliar to you in pace, actually. Introduce the case study, have a look at what month-end meant in asset finance and for this company, what flexi-time at month-end means, and then do some of the more critical analysis, so a more ge a ge overview of the kind of flexi-time, and then also a gendered analysis of it as well, because that was the, the point of the, of the thing. So, first off, I believe that organisations are inherently gendered. This is something that Joan Acker has written a lot about, and it means that any organisations, including the one that we're in, have been designed around a male norm, simply because it was men who originally occupied them. So this means the hours we work, the industrial time, the attributes that are valued in the workplace, the language, uh, and even the physical environments, that, like the one we're in now, really, that it will have a, it will have a masculine gender bias. That's not to say that that isn't essentialism coming into play, which we can talk about a bit later on, so what is typically male and what is typically female, but that's the, the theory, that's a way to critique this theory, but I'm going to go in with the basis I believe that organisations are gendered, and what that means is that it privileges a masculine ideal worker, and a masculine ideal worker is free from personal responsibilities, and that means they're free to demonstrate their commitment to the organisation, and that can mean many things, so people who travel abroad, for example, um, but more often than not, and in this case, it means working overtime. Um, that's why this applies to the month end. Secondly, um, it's a study about work-life balance. So by its nature, it's a study about social time. There's, social time's a bit of a funny one in theory because people who know it are, quite, are really into it, but it's still quite a bit of an obscure one, even though some of the theories are really simple. Um, so for example... One of the basics of social time theory is that time can be measured in a quantitative way and a qualitative way. So quantitative time is, refers to chronological clock time um, and qualitative time is more how time is experienced. Um, a prominent social time theorist, Barbara Adams, writes that for sociologists, the study of time is an interest in the rhythms of social life um, as well as the control of people's time. And so these themes will be threaded throughout both the thesis and this paper when we talk about flexi-time and, and work-life balance. Um, and finally, and more specifically to the, the paper, this idea from um, 
Fleetwood, he wrote about different work-life balance through the eras in, in theory. Um, and he suggested that um, work-life balance initiatives, particularly flexible work, can fall into three categories. Um, that is employer-friendly, so driven by the employer. Employee-friendly, driven by the employee. And then there's this kind of probably quite vast neutral category where there is in, uh, benefits for both sides. The categories are, uh, are somewhat artificial but I think we're going to, they're quite good to work with as a framework for studying these and critiquing flexible work as we know it, really. So, the case study. It was empirical research um, where I interviewed 26 employees from two asset finance companies, both in the south of England. Uh, in this paper, I'm just going to focus on one of those two companies. Um, and firstly, I think it's important to locate asset finance in the wider finance sector, because um, we probably all have the interest in slightly different elements of this massive beast that is finance. So um, I'm going to use a definition of the Finance and Leasing Authority, that are effectively the governing body of finance and leasing. Um, asset finance is a type of finance used by businesses to obtain the equipment they need to grow, by paying a regular charge for the use of the asset over an agreed period of time. So this allows them to get a loan rather than paying for something outright. Assets can be anything from the computers we use in the library all the way through to aircrafts. Um, and just to clarify, it's a totally different concept to asset management, um, which is more about where firms um, manage the money of other organisations by investing them and in property and stocks, that type of thing. Um, in asset finance, the profit is made by charging an interest on the loan. Um, a bit like the same way that banks make money on mortgages. And um, I can't go into quite a lot of detail about how that works, but it's quite dry even for this audience, so we can talk about it at the end. <laughs> so um, the assets for this case study... Um, I'm going to, if, I, uh, if I refer to it throughout, it might be Nordica or Nordica Finance as the pseudonym. <coughs> they only fund one type of asset, um, and that is trucks. More specifically, one brand or manufacturer's trucks, because um, they were the finance house for an international commercial vehicle manufacturer. So the equivalent is a bit like when you, if you think about cars, BMW will have BMW Finance, and Volkswagen will have Volkswagen Finance, and if they haven't outsourced that to a bank, it will be in-house and it will be a way for the bigger parent company to make money. They also do finance as well as building trucks. The global operation was large. Um, it included the manufacturer and the finance business. Um, it employed about 45,000 people globally. Um, but there was only 40 in the company that I worked for, um, that I went to interview and 30 of those in the office. So the actual office was really small. Um, I interviewed 12 employees, and the participants were quite representative. They were from each department. Um, the hierarchy was quite flat, so I managed to get a couple of managers as well. So overall, it was a fairly decent representative sample. But what I'm going to focus on here um, is the sales support part of that sample. So the interviewees from sales support in Nordic Finance the primary function of sales support is, is pretty much what it sounds really. They support the work of the sales team, mainly 
umbrella term of kind of administrative support. And what that meant is things like um, raising the contracts, generating finance contracts. They were also customer services. Um, that, that was it. They really they just they did everything that the sales team needed someone in the office to do basically. And I've chosen to focus on this team for two reasons. Firstly, because they were really one of the only departments other than accounts that really were impacted by month end. Um, the workload was always busy towards the end of the month um, and they all reported staying late and using flexi time to do so. So that's how come it's going to be really that team. And also what was really interesting to me about this particular sales support team is that they had gender parity. Um, there was about 10 people in the team altogether and half male and half female. Um, and this was quite different to my own experience in finance and in sales support in particular where it was it was an administrative job and it was a very female job and and it was it was all women and i was interested why this team was, had gender parity but also more so everyone everyone that interviewed came forward for interview was just the men it was three men of 23 years old and, and that was quite unusual so i focus on them as well to see what they talk about because that in itself that's gender so um what did month end mean in this organization some of you probably know way more about month end than I do, um, but essentially it's an accounting procedure that closes an organization's operations. Um, it tallies up everything from the previous month. It's a cost control process, basically, um, to ensure that the profits, profits and losses are balanced um, and checked at the end of the month. Uh, reporting quickly at month end is considered to demonstrate a company's efficiency and their reliability, as well as their um, ability to adapt, adapt to change, um, something which the market and therefore the shareholders um, obviously all value. Um, in finance services, uh, month-end reporting can also be part of regulation. So in asset finance, for example, um, members of the FLA, who I quoted earlier, um, they require reports um, and then balances to be reported to them really quite promptly after the end of the month. So, um, and although it is an accounting procedure, month end has become synonymous with monthly targets in sales. So both the trucks and the truck manufacturers and the dealers, the finance team, the sales team, they all had monthly targets at the end of the month to secure as much business as possible. What that meant was, the same with any deadline that we all have experienced, that everything gets left to last minute, everything gets pushed to the end of the month. Um, and therefore it's always busy for the final week or two of the month. I don't think that's exclusive to finance. I think that happens elsewhere, but it certainly happened in this company. Um, and that was exacerbated as well by the fact that they, the salespeople who had target, had target bonuses linked to what they had ordered, what they'd got in the business. Um, but the people in sales support didn't. Um, they only got flexi time back, which is what we're going to look at really here. So how did, what really is flexi time in this company? Um, the dominant form of flexible work found at Nordica was flexi time. And then when I got there, it actually transpired that this was the only form of flexible working. They, there, no one was working part time. Um, there was no one doing compressed hours. No one was working from home. They didn't really have the ability to work from home. The managers didn't even work from home. Um, and that was really quite unusual. So I'm not going to go into that any more in this presentation, but 
it does fit in a bit to that narrative of gender and flexi time and flexible work more generally so it can be something we can talk about afterwards perhaps um, a flexi time policy according to the definition of Chung's definition gives employees flexibility over their working schedule and consistent with most flexi time schemes um, Nordica finance employees um, were able to adjust their start and finishing times um, they could take back time in lieu afterwards if they'd worked overtime and built time up um, rather than being logged according to the calendar month or annually uh, like some flexi time schemes are this one was logged from the middle part of the month to the middle part of the following month so 15th of the month um, I think that was must have been to coincide around month end as this this was one of the interviews ex interviewees explained our flexi time is run from the 15th to the 15th of each month when it comes to month end we all start doing longer hours to make sure the work is done so then for the first two weeks of the next month we can all do short hours or if you have accumulated enough time you can have a day off or half a day off so in theory this was quite simple more overtime would be worked during the second half of each calendar month and therefore employees would accrue flexi time hours that they could take back in lieu during the first half of the following month then the cycle would start again there was no stipulation on how time in lieu was taken, so you could take half an hour at a time, or as this employee said, you could take a full day if you really made enough. He also suggested there's a shared understanding within the team, at least within the team of the, who were sampled in the interviews, that everyone would stay late at month end. And this second interviewee corroborated this. So he says, when we're busy, we're busy. Everyone knows we have to stay, but if things are quite slow, and not as fast and you can fit more of what you want in. You can fit your outside life much more around work, rather than work being the dominant thing or having to try and fit other stuff in. So as this administrator explained, at month end, self-support were expected to prioritise work over their personal lives, perhaps even more than they were the rest of the month. But once month, though, once month end was over, the balance tipped in the other way. Most interviewees in the department, apart from one we'll hear from in a minute, they were quite ambivalent about this need to work overtime and this up and down of, of the workload. I mean, and I, it's something I remember myself when I worked in self-support. You, you just did it. You were just told that was quite normal for people who worked in finance. And it was just part of it. And, and we accepted that. And they didn't quite say, or oh, you could leave and go elsewhere. But I think that was what was implied. But at least here, when, we, when I used to do it, we used to just stay and just, just think, it, well, I don't know why we did it, but it, what I know now is unpaid labour for six hours at the end of the, end of the month. But at least here, they had flexi time. So they would accept doing this overtime because they knew they could get the time back. So what is the problem with any of this? The flexi time provided the organisation with a flexible workforce. So when it was busy over month end, employees had to work late but then they got their time back afterwards well firstly it was restricted flexibility it wasn't as Chung said that they have the you know flexibility to manage their time there was quite a lot of restrictions placed on them as this interviewee says he says having time off is I think really hard here because we are limited month end is just sort of a slash it's like you can't have any time so staff in self-support were not allowed to take flexi time um, or annual leave off 
over month end. And quite often this month end was denoted as a whole week of the month. They were expected to all be there and to all share the workload and all get the work done. Part of this expectation was driven by the department manager because he said through peak periods, which is normally at the end of the month, although he's not defined exactly what that means, I need you here beyond four o'clock. We do have these exceptionally busy periods where the team will be here until seven o'clock at night and it's all about fairness. So for this team manager, having everyone work late at month end, it was, it was just about fairness. So although flexi time did represent an exchange of time, the exchange was based on an unequal balance of power. The organisation and the manager set the rules about how it was used, when it was used, and employees were then also expected to abide by them. Furthermore, when that time was exchanged, it was an unequal time because it assumed time only had one dimension. As I mentioned at the beginning, social theories of time recognise that time can be quantitative, so chronological clock time, something that can be measured, counted, minutes, hours, days, um, or it can be qualitative, where the quality of time is measured, so how time is spent or unexperienced by an individual. Only one interviewee, this one, he was quoted earlier as well, he was the only one who really showed resistance to ideal work norms. And by being critical of this flexi-time policy um, and the restrictions surrounding month-end. And this quote um, gives a couple of examples about why it's important to recognise both these dimensions of time. So he says, My partner's a teacher, so I can only have time off during half-terms, and quite a lot of the school holidays land on a month-end, and you have to tell her I can't have it off. It's month-end, which is hard. It was quite a bad sentence when you think about it. It takes it out of you month end. So you have to take time off after. Because you can't do it during month end. So you take time after. You just go home early. Firstly, he didn't want to take time off when the workload is quiet. He wanted to take time off when his girlfriend was available. A day off after month end, which he would spend with his girlfriend, had much more value to him. Uh, sorry, yeah, so a day spent with his girlfriend during month end would have a lot more value to him than a day spent on his own afterwards. And secondly, he said that month end takes it out of you. So time taken back in lieu after month end was going to just be time recovering from month end. He was tired, he'd been working loads of overtime, um, work was really intense, and he, so he had less energy after time, after month end so his the time had a different quality to it for him so the premise of the talk what's any of this got to do with gender it, i haven't really mentioned it i've mentioned it a little bit so far but it has all been in there it's just had to be kind of made visible and, and picked out and um and i've kind of spotted four instances of gender blindness that i want to highlight around this use of month end and flexi time. So firstly, the practice of working overtime um, and working until all the work gets done, that's a really normalised um, conception of work and it's one that's a masculine conception that if you, you know, subscribe to the idea of a gendered organisation, it comes out of that idea of an ideal male or masculine ideal worker norm. 
that's not to say it's something that, that men do, it's something we all do. It's just, well, we probably all know we do as we're PhD students, but it's just the idea that we, we just keep working, we just keep doing it, we're committed and, you know, we're competitive. All these staff that in the interview in this uh, support team were exhibiting behaviours associated with the ideal worker model because they were committed by staying late. They prioritised work over life at month end, didn't question it. They were really compliant as well. They, they didn't challenge the authority or the rules that, that told them to do these things. Um, and also, if you recall, right back at the beginning, all these interviewees from South Support were 23-year-old men. So they had no children or family to care for. Um, and actually, two of them still lived at home. So their ability to be flexible with their time and stay late when needed, it just wasn't a problem to them. Only the final interviewee, Josh, who we saw from a minute ago, he challenged the need to be flexible and how you could or couldn't be flexible. Um, but he wouldn't dare challenge it to his manager. It was just something he would say to me. Um, this leads to the second point that... I don't know if I can put the thing on here. I'm not going to press anything. Um, not everybody either can be so flexible or wants to be so flexible. Um, there's a story that is really... That's where the idea of this paper came from. It's a story I've told that I've used in the thesis, but I'll just briefly try to summarise here. Um, during his interview, the department manager said he was deliberately only employing bright young guys, straight out of uni. Um, and of course, this is as close to the ideal worker model as you could get, really. Um, although this wasn't always the case with the team, the team was, it used to be more female dominated, as most administration teams probably were, are. Um, a previous employee, after having her second child, she used her legal right to request flexible work, and so she asked for regular fixed hours. She isn't that unusual in most companies, but it went totally against this flexi-time policy. The request was refused by the manager, who we heard from a few pages back. Um, he considered it to be unfair on the rest of the team. Um, because everyone was required to stay late over month end, as we have seen. This employee did appeal the decision and started legal proceedings against the, the company, but um, eventually they did settle out of court. Their sex, employee, their sex employee was either unwilling and or unable, perhaps, to work overtime at month end um, and lost her job as a result. But in contrast, these, the male sales support interviewees who we've seen from earlier they were willing and able to be flexible and work overtime at month end. But I wonder what this said about the rest of the team. So the third point, if the South support team supposedly had gender parity, same amount of men and women in the team, why did my sample, why was it full of three men who were all the same age? Um, I should point out at this stage that my sample was recruited by the organisation. Um, I told them what I wanted and they put out a call for volunteers, so it was pretty much what I got in the end. The sample was fairly representative in all other departments that were a little bit smaller than this, so why didn't the women in South Support come forward? Particularly um, work-life balance, flexible work, one of my supervisors said to me, she said, oh, I know you're probably you're looking for both genders, but you'll get a bunch of women come forward because work-life balance and, and flexible work, it's, it's a women's, considered a women's issue, and Lots of women want to kind of talk, come and talk about it. 
but this team didn't. In South Sport team, they didn't. So, so why? Why was that? Feminist research um, is about giving a platform for marginalised voices, but we can't always guarantee that women are going to be able to take up that platform. So. If we're being ethical researchers, we also have to recognise whose voices we're not hearing. And unfortunately, this um, kind of dearth of women in the sample raises more questions about gender in this organisation than it does answer them. So did the women in the team feel the same about month end as these male, as their male counterparts? Did the flexi time policy work for them? How did they feel about their work-life balance? And also, probably, what was their relationship with these men who were slowly coming in and, and you know, becoming, I don't know, a central tenant of this department? Um, and unfortunately, I'll never know any of these answers now. Um, but this is, this is quite a gendered phenomenon in itself, and it's something that I think I'm going to probably have to reflect on quite a lot um, as I write up the thesis, um, particularly in the sampling, and, and look at the results. Um, so finally, right, the last point as well... I don't know if anyone else that spotted that month end was never referred to as a monthly cycle by any of these people. And I think the, the quite an obvious reason for that is um, because of what monthly cycle means otherwise. Um, although it happened once a month, it was quite hard, it was tiring, could last for up to a week. Um, but uh, the first half of the month was quite calm and quiet and it just all kind of kicked off in the second half and was just really stressful. So I don't know if that sounds familiar to maybe a few of you. But the cycle of month end just shared some remarkable resemblances to a woman's biology to me and I couldn't help embarrassingly point it out at this stage because it was just another real demonstration of the gendered organisation, I felt. Um, of course the, the financial month end takes, it follows the calendar month as well. Um, but it's a study of social time, so we look at rhythms and we look at cycles and we try and understand how this time is made up. So all biological or astronomical, if that's the way you want to look at it, all those connotations have been stripped out of the month-end process as we know it here. It's, instead, it's been constructed as a capitalist economical process that is designed to count profits, essentially. The month-end or, or the monthly cycle, however you want to refer to it, um, it's, it is a patriarchal construction seeped in this idea of the, the gendered organisation, if that's what, if you subscribe to that. But it does bear remarkable resemblances to feminine nature. Just couldn't help pointing out. So, um, I'll leave this up here. I think this one because this this is just really some thoughts, and that I think there's a lot more to this that I haven't really gone into depth about why it matters. But there's just a few ideas about. Why should we or businesses care about this type of thing? What is it about flexi time and, and um, month end that is, matters to gender or gender scholars? So um, one of them is the gender pay gap. It's a big talking point at the moment. Um, and anyone who is into it will realise it is constructed in so many multifaceted ways and expectations to work overtime. Um, particularly at month end, the idea of the ideal masculine worker, all these things all build up to the idea of constructing this gender pay gap. Um, the managers I spoke to were all men, uh, people who came forward to talk about this research were all men. There was just, it, it's just to show a little bit how, yeah, the complicated ways I guess the gender pay gap comes about. 
Um, also, work-life balance. I'm not really looking into, into mental health as such, although it's something that's increasingly interested me as I've gone through the study of work-life ba work balance. And as you probably all know, financial cultures, where this kind of rush job to month end, staying late, everybody must do it, all comes into it. They're very extreme and they very um, rarely go unchallenged. Um, that's not good for any of us, but it also will link back up to that the gender pay gap idea as well. Um, and finally, this is something that comes out in work-life balance studies as well, is that all these policies now, so flexi-time policies, flexible work policies, they're all gender-blind, which is, which is probably progress because they used to just be for, for mothers. Um, but what that does do is it overlooks the fact that these gender norms are still happening in these organisations. Um, that they're happening at work um, and it's still happening at home. Um, and the rest of my thesis also looks at what happens in home for these people as well. Which, um, but that's, that's a whole other massive paper, so I won't do that right now. Um, and that's all. I'll leave it up there for now. Um, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've always been talking to you about it.